Hello, and welcome once again to The Audra Show. I'm Audra Laquadera, your host, and this is episode number 50. Five zero. I'm 50. The Audra Show is 50. So congratulations to me. <laughs> and obviously the bulk of my episodes were done in San Francisco. They've been a little... Uh, Less frequent here in Colorado, but, uh, you know, we're still going at it as we find interesting guests and get them on tape and edited, and uh, we're still having fun. And by we, of course, I mean myself, Audra Laquadera, the sole person <laughs> who works on the Audra Show podcast, which is also why there is no Audra Show theme song, in case anybody was wondering about that. But I'm very excited about my guest for episode 50. She is uh, someone I met in within my first couple of months here. And like many of my Denver guests, was a Lyft passenger of mine. Lucky for me because she is Heidi Kerr-Schleifer, who's the mayor of Heidetown, <laughs> which is her awesome website, HeidiTown.com and blog which is all about all the great things going on here in Colorado. Festivals and events and towns to go check out, places to see, things to do. She's also recently expanded to the surrounding states as well. So HeidiTown.com, great blog. We had a really fun conversation uh, all about HeidiTown and how it got started and how it's grown and how Colorado has grown and just all the great things going on in this state. We talked a little bit about Denver history and about her husband's business, Ryan Schlafer Fine Furniture, and their life as self-employed entrepreneurs. So it was great. I hope that you enjoy it. I certainly did. Other than that, I don't even know what's been going on this year. I feel like summer just started, and it's October 5th. This year just feels like it has been a whirlwind of chaos, which if you follow politics at all, it's hard not to think about it as a whirlwind of chaos, no matter what side you're on. Anyone who follows me on social media obviously knows my political views quite well, knows that I find our president to be kind of hilarious and definitely not somebody I have ever taken seriously, even as the host of Celebrity Apprentice. So I find it hard to believe, honestly, honestly and truly, I find it hard to believe how somebody looks at that man and sees a serious leader. I mean, let alone successful businessman, let alone president of the United States. But that is really besides the point. He's also just quite unqualified to be president no need to get into all of that. <laughs> I've gotten into money, much of it on uh, social media, which of course culminated with my pretty much calling out uh, all of my Facebook friends who are Trump supporters on the fact that they're essentially endorsing white supremacy at this point by endorsing Donald Trump and still just blindly supporting Donald Trump. I mean, I feel like if you're going to endorse a man who endorses white supremacy, you should at least, at the very, very, very least, acknowledge that you're doing that. I mean, also, I don't think there's any denying the fact that he's a white supremacist at this point. He's only a politician because of birtherism, a racist lie that he still hasn't totally abandoned. And he's now defending Nazis. And, you know, that's 
not nothing. That's not somebody's view on abortion or even gun control. I mean, defending Nazism is defending <laughs> a, 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 a different country. It's defending fascism. And, you know, I, I'm not, I don't know if, if Trump colluded with Russia or if he wants to make this into a fascist country, but he's defending fascism. And that's something that you need to acknowledge is true if you're still blindly supporting him. I, and, you know, I just feel like you should be able to defend your position at the very least. But I know that all I did was really piss off a lot of people who probably don't ever want to think about the fact that they're endorsing somebody who very clearly endorses white supremacy. Anyway, I'm not going to get into all of that. I just wanted to bring it up because uh, I, don't, I, don't <laughs> I don't feel great about the fact that I called lots of my family and friends white supremacists, but I don't feel badly about it either, quite frankly. E even if you don't want to talk about it, you should at least acknowledge it to yourself that that's who he is and, and that is something that you're a part of. That's all. Hopefully I haven't uh, completely alienated some people, but, you know, I, I personally believe fascism is uh, serious enough to take the risk. And if you think I'm crazy because I'm even bringing up the word fascism in America, then you know what? I'm So is the majority of the country and the world. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Once again, my guest this week for episode 50 is Heidi Kerr-Schlafer, the mayor of Heidi Town. We chatted on August 24th, 2017, and here is our conversation. Enjoy, and thank you again for listening. A do -do -do, musical interlude. Well, welcome to the Audra Show, Heidi. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for doing this. We met, geez, I guess it was probably... Or over a year ago, yep. as uh, you were my Lyft passenger, as <laughs> so many of my Denver podcast guests have been. But uh, we finally are making this happen <laughs> after a year. But obviously, Heidi Town keeps you pretty busy. Yeah. And actually, it's funny that we met that way, because I feel like that's kind of honestly how, how I've even gained readers and fans over the years is just completely unexpected encounters with people. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So. And it was great for me as a brand new uh, person to Colorado to yeah. be able to find something like uh, your website to just yeah, check out it, all the kind all different things that are going on. It definitely appeals to newbies for sure. So let's uh, take a step back and why don't you uh, tell us about Heidi Town? Well, do you want me to go back before Heidi Town? Because it's kind of a, sure. that's kind of part of my story, I think, is that I like to tell people that I barely escaped becoming a lawyer. <laughs> okay. um, <laughs> about from the age of 14, I had put blinders on and I was a pre-law student. I studied political science, philosophy, and French. Wow. I was going to be an international relations attorney. And uh, <laughs> despite being taken aside by an English prof at one point telling me, you know, you should really reconsider. I think you have a talent for writing. I, I said, nope, nope, nope. I'm going to be an attorney and um, perhaps be a lobbyist one day and work my way to DC and oh, yeah nice. I'm all set and you know when I talk to students now and I give presentations at Metro and different places I always say you know take the blinders off because it's you never really know and you need to kind of stay open to what what the universe is is telling you and yeah 
Yeah, long story short, uh, ended up with political science and philosophy degrees and uh, met my husband in Washington State. I college hopped, but I eventually graduated from Western Washington University in Bellingham and met my Colorado husband and we moved out here. We were not <laughs> married yet, but I was determined to go to DU School of Law. I started working for some attorneys uh, in Denver who were actually several of them were graduates of DU and kept plodding along on that route. I had worked for attorneys throughout college as well. So yeah, it was just like this was the road I was on, and it, yeah. was, it was interesting. I kept putting off studying for my LSAT, um, putting it off, putting it off. It's like something in the back of my head kept me from doing it. Um, Did so, you know why? What, Did you know what it was at that point? I mean, after being on that course for so long. I don't know. I don't know. I'm a terrible test taker, so I know that was part of it. I'm mm -hmm. a, I was always a, an excellent student and a terrible test taker. I mean, I literally <laughs> threw up on my SATs and ACTs and... <laughs> You know, like I, I threw up the mornings I had to take those tests. So I'm a really terrible test taker, very anxiety ridden. So I know that was a big part of it. But anyway, I had this whole plan and about two years into working in Denver, um, I was working for some insurance defense attorneys and actually they're really great guys, really nice, nice place to work, could have had a better job. And I just had some sort of weird epiphany and said, I don't, I don't want to do this with my life. Yeah. And there were lots of reasons that I won't go into, but it's, you know, it's a different it's a different world. And I thought, I'm going to, I have stress right. <laughs> for one thing. I'm not a good stress management person. And so I, yeah, I basically turned my back on it. We decided to get out, get the heck out of Dodge and move out of Denver. It was just a quality of life issues. So yeah. Yeah. So we bought a house in uh, Loveland, Colorado. And that's kind of a little known fact, by the way, a lot of people don't actually know where I'm from. Oh, really? <laughs> I've, I've had a lot of people think I'm from the mountains because I spend a lot of time there. So yeah. So then I was sort thing. of had a midlife crisis about 27, I would say. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. Um, and it was, it was actually really hard. I, uh, of course my first instinct was to go straight back to college cause I was really good at college. And so I thought, well, I'll go get a master's, uh, in English. Um, because I really knew that writing was something I really enjoyed to do. And Somewhere around that time, I had started a fiction writers group here in Loveland that lasted for about three years. And oh, wow. all of this was kind of happening at the same time. And I actually stayed working for the law firm, I think, for another six nine months when we moved up here. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you to just stop that cold turkey. Or... No, I didn't. Yeah, no. Anyway, so I went and met with one of the uh, heads of departments at the time at CSU, and I probably shouldn't tell this story out loud because I'm not sure they would have appreciated what she told me, but it was probably some of the best advice I ever got. I, I saw in her office and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking about going back and getting a master's so that I can become a writer. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, you should just go out and become a writer. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna spend two years getting your master's and you're gonna be in the exact same spot you are now you're not gonna have clips you're not gonna have the experience right and um I really took her advice to heart and um that's what I did so I got a I got a job at a newspaper wow bless her heart the owner of the Bertha Weekly Surveyor gave me a job kind of with very few clips and she really I you know if I write a book someday I've always said that Becky will be 
<laughs> in that book as a thank you. And um, that, yeah. that actually led to Heidi Town because in 2006, when I started there, um, everyone was saying, you should blog. When you are a writer, you need to have something online so that people can see your writing style. And yeah, so I said, okay, well, I'll start a blog. And I think my husband ended up naming it Heidi Town. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it started in, this is kind of cool that we're doing this interview because I It'll be 10 years old in October. Oh, wow. Yeah. Congrats. So 2007, October. Of, yeah, 2007. Wow. So, yeah, it just started like that. I would love to say that I had some, like, really cool business plan and everything came together, but it was a very organic process. Sort of the blog and my freelance writing career sort of grew up together is what I like to say. Yeah. It was originally a review blog because I think that's where a lot of people start because it's kind of an easy thing to do. Yeah. I mean, everyone has opinions about everything, what they eat, what they read, what they watch. And so I reviewed movies, books, and food. Right. <laughs> that's how it started. And just kind of spread from there. Yeah. It, uh, in 2010 is really probably technically when it really took off. It, you know, it definitely had a life before then, but I had audiences in sort of different areas and I had done some festival writing and um, I grew up going to festivals in a lot of ways because they were a free way to um, entertain my best kids. And my yeah. parents um, were very thrifty growing up and a very Scottish father. And so, <laughs> you know, they always looked for you know, cheap and fun ways to keep us entertained. So we always went to the Scottish Festival in Enumclaw, Washington. And so I really had this huge background in festivals and travel, road trip travel. Okay. So yeah, I started talking about that and, and literally it was sort of like light bulb went off because the stats went up. You know, it's like, oh, I was doing something in 2010 that no one else was doing. And that was writing about festivals in Colorado. If you fast forward to today, I can no longer keep up. There was a time <laughs> when I could actually sort of tell you any given weekend what was happening. And, you know, with the growth of Colorado, the popularity of Colorado, it's become near to impossible for me to keep up with everything going on. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah, imagine. I, There's so I, many I, things going on around here. So, yeah, so that's kind of the story of Heidi Town. It, it really just grew organically from, from that point when I started writing about festivals and travel. And by the nature of writing about festivals, I was traveling around the state. I got to know the tourism people that are involved in PR. And, you know, I love to network. I'm actually, I think, I'm a writer, but I'm definitely not an introverted writer. Like a lot of people who are writers <laughs> tend to be more introverted. Right. I'm definitely more of that marketing minded. I'm a cheerleader. And so I think it was a good combination for doing travel writing here in Colorado. Yeah, I think so too. I was going to say, I mean, uh, the fact that it happened organically, I think is part of probably what makes it popular. You know, it just makes sense. It's like an extension, like you're saying, it's an extension of your personality, not something you're just, you know, set out to try and be or do, you know? Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's how people relate it. And I think one of the cool things, I mean, here's the B word branding, <laughs> it's been like talked about to death, but I, I think with Heidi Town, it's, it's really interesting. I didn't do any of this stuff on purpose, but it worked out, which I think is kind of an interesting, um, interesting thing. But Heidi Town, the idea of a town and the idea of having citizens in that town, it all just works, right? You know, people feel yeah. invested when you, when they're my citizens, when they're the citizens of this town. So from a community growing aspect, from a social media community growing aspect, it was already set up to work. You know, the, the concept was there and 
God, I wish I could say so badly that I did that on purpose. But and, and I really think that has been the coolest factor, which I didn't realize would happen over over time was, you know, people are committed to it, not as a brand, but as them being part of something. And I think that really matters when you're starting to talk about social media and groups and online, you know, when you talk about tribes, I think it just really worked. And it's, it's just been kind of an amazing adventure that I'm on. And, you know, I've made, fr- I've made really close friends, some of my best friends through Heidi Town. They were readers. Oh, really? <laughs> I think you said something about it being an extension of my personality. So if you like Heidi Town, we're probably going to get along, you know, right. <laughs> not every time, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely that sense of like, you know, and I, and I saw on your site, you're saying that people sort of live vicariously through you. And it's true. I mean, obviously people are going to live vicariously through any sort of travel blog to a certain extent, but you do get that feeling of like, oh, I wish I was there too, you know, with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, and I think where I where I did things a little differently than other travel bloggers, and actually I know that I did it differently, was I decided to make Colorado the target. I wasn't going to get on a plane. For one thing, I don't have the finances to be flying around. Right. I'm married. I have a mortgage. You know, I couldn't just, I, I couldn't say to my husband, yeah, I'm going to go on this fam trip, which is, you know, <laughs> like a press trip with a bunch of writers to Paris for a week. You know, right. that was never the kind of travel writing I was going to be doing because of my lifestyle. And so I really concentrated on Colorado and nobody was doing that. I was the writer that sort of never went away. <laughs> and um, that was kind of amazing to the PR people I worked with because they are used to a writer flying in, writing about their destination, and then that writer may never write about their destination again. Here I was continuing to tell people, Uray is amazing. Pagosa Springs is amazing. Have you not been to Grand Junction? You would not believe the food scene in Grand Junction. I mean, over and over again. And there's yeah. a huge, you know, marketing quality to that. So, it, you know, they see it. They saw it. And yeah. um, I oh. think that's really what helped me establish myself within the tourism community. Right. I mean, there's just a, a more of a relatability to it because of that very aspect that you don't get on the plane. It's things that people with a mortgage can do and yeah. who yeah. are living and, a normal and life. Right, right here in Colorado can go do any given weekend. Right. My real desire has always been to get those people like you who maybe just moved here or a Coloradan who's lived here their whole life and has never visited Steamboat Springs. Right. There is a there's a gal here in Loveland who grew up here, went to Loveland High School, and never had been to Steamboat Springs. It blew my mind. Yeah. Those are the people I'm after. Just get out and see their state. You know, people have these dreams. I'm going to go to Iceland, and I'm going to go to Paris, and those <laughs> places are all great. But we have amazing things here, and I have such a passion for places like the sand dunes. I mean, yeah, have amazing things, and people just don't realize they don't have to get on a plane. Right. You can have these amazing magical experiences, travel experiences right here in your own state. I mean, we couldn't be luckier to live in Colorado. Yeah. So taking advantage of that is what I want people to do. And that's that's honestly my biggest passion. And I think that's where I, I really strive to get people to see, you know, what, what is out there. Yeah. I mean, and as somebody who's fairly new to Colorado still, it's amazing to me how many things there are to do here. I mean, on any given week or weekend, if you have to choose between activities because there's only so much time off you have you know, and so, true. And so much free time. And, and honestly, like as, when you project that out to the entire state and all there is to do, it is almost overwhelming. You know, it's like, how am I ever going to get to do all of this? And it's great to be able to look at Heidi Town and say, okay, break this down and you know, give me 
Give me and some I little bits help and help people trip plan. Like that's my favorite. I love trip planning for anyone, oh, myself really? included. Oh, okay. I, I will always help people. And so people will message me or tweet me or email me out of the blue. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to Breckenridge this weekend. You know, where's your favorite restaurant? I mean, I get asked this stuff all the time and it's super, I love, I live to get those questions because right. uh, that's super fun for me. I wish I had talked to you last week. I just went up to Aspen and Vale for the first time. Oh, yeah. I mean, anytime. I will. <laughs> anytime you want to ask. I, I love it. So what's... I, I, wanted, I wanted to add something kind of funny that I've noticed because I've been doing this for so long. Yeah. It's funny because there's so many new people in Colorado. I'm finding that they actually tend to be some of my most fanatic fans, like the ones that will read everything and engage the most. Because when people come here, they want to live like a local. Yeah. They want to know it all. And what's funny about people who grew up here is they think they know it all. Yes, they do. <laughs> no offense. I mean, my, my husband grew up here. But what's <laughs> funny is they don't. There's so many hidden gems. And I hate, you know, that's such a overused uh, yeah. phrase. But there are all over the place that you don't know about. And, and so many people here, you know, who grew up here don't even realize there's really cool places on the Eastern Plains as well. I mean, when you grow up, grew up here, you had stereotypes about places like Greeley or pretty much anywhere east of I-25. My husband grew up in Littleton, you know, it's like, um, and so there's all these different things that I can write about and tell them about that. They're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea I grew up here. And I, you know, I've not, I never knew that. So I love, I live for that as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's always fun being able to tell locals about stuff. (laughs) I love it. Well, it's true. I mean, it's crazy how much there is going on here. And honestly, this whole, the whole area is a is a hidden gem there's so many choices you know it used to be like maybe one beer festival a month I mean I remember when that was <laughs> right. I mean, it seems absurd now yeah but um, <laughs> at this point there there could be three beer festivals on any given summer weekend in Denver metro alone there's a lot of competition now that that didn't exist and you're seeing older festivals having to scramble and some of them aren't going to make it and have not made it because they right weren't able to sort of reinvent themselves. And now they have 10 festivals on the same weekend as competition, whereas they used to be, you know, the only kid on the block. Right. Throw a festival, you're guaranteed to get a crowd. Absolutely. And so it's it's a, it's a really interesting world out there in just the festival world in Colorado. It's kind of insanity. And we have such savvy drinkers now. We have people that know so much about the industry. You know, just doing little things like festivals who actually have the brewers there Right. People love that, you know, so, yeah. so if you can have a festival where you get the actual brewers to come and not some people pouring that don't know anything about the beer, you know, there's just little things you can do. And it's, it's hard out there. Honestly, I feel for a lot of the festivals that have been around for a while and, and them having to sort of reinvent themselves. Right. Well, I guess the good news is there's so many extra people <laughs> to go to them. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But in the long run, they can't count on, you know, it's like, (laughs) that's definitely good for the here and now. But if you want your festival to have longevity, you know, yeah, it's difficult. So you've really turned Heidi Town into a whole business. Yes. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. So what I did in the beginning was I just worked with festivals and I really 
kind of, again, it was an organic process where a lot of people would come to me, they saw what I was doing and they say, you know, they wanted the brand association, you know, kind of mostly started in Northern Colorado, but I had pretty quickly off the bat, some big clients down in Denver, um, through the German American chamber of commerce started advertising with me early on because they actually had interviewed people. Oh, you gotta love the Germans. I'm married to one. You gotta love the Germans because <laughs> they do their homework. And what they did was they had asked everyone coming into the beer garden festival one year, how did you hear about us? And then they contacted me and said, um, all these people heard about us through you. How can we do some more <laughs> marketing with you? Oh, wow. And, um, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how it started. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's put together festival packages and I only promote the things I like. I mean, it's my yeah. business. I get to decide whether I promote you or not. And there have been events that I have said, no, that just doesn't fit with my branding. Some of my, my favorites over the years, uh, Art Ocade down in Trinidad, which is actually September 9th, 10th this year. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. It is this art car event with funky art cars and Trinidad's kind of this funky cookie town. The whole thing just works and they're doing something that, that isn't done in a lot of places. Another one early on that I found, Glenn Miller Swing Fest in oh. Fort Morgan, which just happened. I was going to ask you about that, actually. I, I yeah. looked at that. My uncles were here last week and I, uh, I had mentioned it, that we should go, but it's it's just something so Americana and so he went to high school there, uh, Glenn oh, Miller, really? and so he's you know sort of a hometown hero. And oh, that's I, so funny. You know just that event I've known about for years and years and years. Uh, it was it was something I knew about before I started Heidi Town, and I I think that that was one of the inspirational events to me was that, wow, they need to spread the word because people like to swing dance and people love big band music. I mean, I went to high, I went to college in the nineties. I mean, we had all those, you know, Brian Switzer, oh, orchestra, yeah. you know, all that cool <laughs> right. stuff that was awesome. And, you know, I, I'm a generation where we really enjoy that kind of music. And so, yeah, so I've worked with them a couple of times over the years and it's just been a really fun opportunity. And um, it's a festival that I feel, you know, there are a lot of events that don't need my help. You know, yeah. they're big, they've got tons of money behind them. And, and so I do, I have worked with those big events and I, and that's fine. And, and they're a lot of fun to work with. However, when I can find those smaller events that see the benefit in working with me, I think it's, it's just really fun for me to promote and help out an event that maybe doesn't have the giant audience like Great American Beer Festival. <laughs> right, right. So I started working with festivals and then within the last couple of years, I've started working with different destinations. That was really my goal about a couple years ago I was like I need to bring some destinations that I love and I won't go into it. this is a little different style than a lot of travel writers have but I I sort of went into this idea of doing some social media influencer stuff for them so I have now worked with several locations it's just super fun I'm very you know I'm transparent people know who I'm working with and so it's I'm trying to get the the destinations to look at me the way the festivals do and say hey you know if I'm mentioning your destination more than one time a year that's probably good for you. I mean, people, again, Colorado is an awesome state. People have a lot of choices. Right. Where are they going to go on any given weekend? They may go to the place I've mentioned more often just because they remember, they may not even remember it was me that mentioned it, but you know, gosh, this particular location keeps coming up again and again. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, you know, some of the less popular destinations could really use that with competition. I mean, I just heard that, um, hanging lake they're gonna have to limit the number of people they can visit every day yes so, well and know. it's people really interesting looking the Colorado for other tourism things. office has really been kind of on the forefront in the last six months of this and really pushing Coloradans 
to make different choices on to where they visit. Who, so who has been this idea that? of discovering kind of Heidi town, it's sort of what I do actually. Yeah. The idea that, you know, if we aren't, aren't going to hanging Lake, you know, you're taking some of that traffic down and maybe you go East or maybe you go to Delta County or you go, you know, it's just kind of spreading out the love right. and they're actually doing a campaign. It's on the tip of my tongue, what it's called um, to, to try and get, locals to sort of spread out so that we're you know yeah lightening the load on the mountains I mean it's really the mountains we're talking about I mean I talked to people just recently where was it where they were telling me that they had a bunch of trash it might have been outside of Vail you know it was Vail um you know a bunch of trash in a campground right went to and they they literally bring bags with them the locals when they go camp so that they can pick it up you know it's just yeah so that yeah. this new campaign that Colorado tourism organization has been doing is, is really cool and, and really right down my alley actually and a lot of my readers are Coloradans because that's kind of who I've directly spoke to over the years yeah and it's a serious concern that hanging lake is like the poster child for what's happening in other, there, you know, there are hot springs now that are just getting trashed up in the mountains, these kind of like hike in hot springs. Right. So it's, it's, it's a real concern. And I think that, you know, it's, it's on all of us to be stewards of this and to be educational about it. Yeah, I agree. I I mean, I can't really talk because I'm one of those people who has come to this state in recent years. But you know, I've found the same thing in the in camping that I've done just trashed campgrounds and just garbage everywhere. And um, but you're here now, and I think you can talk. I think anyone who lives here, I think we all have a voice in this, and I think you can have an opinion, and you can. I'm I'm a transplant too. I came in 2000. You know, and and I think that when you come here, that's your you now are have that responsibility right. to educate and and I think everybody who's here has a voice in this and I it's definitely the next big thing that Colorado's really going to have to deal with yeah I mean it seems like it it's sad in a way when the mountains become a place that you can't really get away from civilization I mean let alone the environmental impacts of having that many people in the mountains every every day it's an interesting thing because I've been even accused. I've had angry tweets, thankfully not tons of them, but oh, really? I've had angry tweets of you're the reason this state is so full of people and yes. you're the reason that, you know, people <laughs> keep moving here. We don't want people to know about secret places and secret, you know, watering right. holes and secret hikes. And, you know, and so there's always this like kind of line you're walking. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't take that stuff very seriously, that those are sad, angry people, but... I would say that's a pretty nice compliment. You're the reason <laughs> right? we're overcrowded. I've actually said that before. I'm like, wow, you must think Heidi Town has a lot of power. <laughs> yeah, I'm flattered. <laughs> but I get it. I'm here and I have those days when I'm driving I-25, you could ask my husband, where I about lose my, yeah. you know, marbles. I'm like, <laughs> how many people on the road? In North, We've watched Northern Colorado grow exponentially. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, Up there. Now, I can tell you places that used to take me 15 minutes flat. That's no longer the case. (laughs) I get it. I absolutely get it. But I think that's on all of us to, to be good stewards and make, smart choices and, yeah. and maybe that's a choice of going east to camp sometime instead of heading to the mountains right you know yeah, there's I mean, some I awesome, get it. like pawnee buttes has some really cool um camping out there uh east of fort collins so there are other choices people can make right i mean i get it too i coloradans are very sort of protective of their state and I, I can see why people are upset it's gotten this crowded if they've gotten to live in, again, this hidden gem for so many years that no one cared about. And now all of a sudden everybody's flocking yeah. to the state. But obviously it's happening all over the 
country and uh, we just have to make it work and, and move yeah. forward. You just have to be sort of like, um, what will be will be. There, there's no changing it. You can't go back. I, I right. used to, I mostly freelance all travel writing now, but I used to do some real estate pieces and, and medical pieces. And I, I remember writing this. I'm so bad with time. It could have been six years ago, but I remember this stat in real estate that we were going to have like a million new people by 2020 or something. It was just crazy. It was, oh, I think yeah. that's what it was. And, and I, my knee jerk reaction to that was like, what the hell? <laughs> that's <laughs> awful. <laughs> right. But then if I step back and use my logical brain, I said, well, I need to look at that as a million new Heidi Town Raiders. Right. Totally. <laughs> because there's nothing else I can do. I got, I've got to figure out how to, how to look at that in a positive way. <laughs> yeah. And also they need to widen I-25, but that's a whole other <laughs> That's a whole other story. I, I mean, I think Colorado is good at doing that, though. I mean, at least they're trying to address some of the infrastructure issues that come with. I mean, it's obvious that Denver metro area was not built for this many people. Right. But they do seem to be, um, you know, at least attempting to, <laughs> to yeah. address those issues as much as yeah. they can. I don't know that they'll be able to keep up. The uh, What's the word I'm looking for? You know, we're, we're suffering from our popularity. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's like too much. I mean, when I got here last March, most people asked me if I came here for the weed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I yeah. came from San Francisco, so I was like, that's not an issue. right. But, uh, you know, I always said, uh, well, I came from somewhere worse. San Francisco is just, you know, the same thing is going on in a, in a smaller space with a lot more people. It's been going on for a long time there. That's the other thing. It never stops. Right. It's so crazy. And I'm like, yeah, you guys have got it easy. Perspective. Yeah, exactly. It's all relative. I'm like, it's affordable and there's not as many people. Colorado just seems like it's very responsive in terms of, like you were saying, trying to do marketing to get people, you know, to disperse to different areas of the state yeah. and just infrastructure wise and all that kind of stuff. Definitely. And, you know, also around the time I got here, there were, I think, three articles in national magazines. One was U.S. News and World Report talking about how Denver's you know, just cost of living wise, quality of life wise, the, the best city in the country to live in. Yeah. And so that's what I kept telling people when they were asking me if I was coming for the weed. I'm like, no, stop publishing articles about how great it is to live here if you don't want people <laughs> right. flocking in. There's always that, you know, Fort Collins uh, kept making all these best places to live. And in the social media world, you know, yeah. somebody would post that and someone else, you know, there was bound to be that one person that'd be like, stop putting us on these lists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I remember coming to Colorado in the 90s with some friends and we were traveling through like the mountains and went through Boulder and I remember being like why don't we stop in Denver and they were like no there's no reason to do that like, Interesting. yeah and yeah. I was like really and they're like yeah there's nothing there and I was like oh okay and didn't never even really thought of Denver again until all of a sudden everybody was moving to Denver and now you live there yeah That's, it's funny I remember the story that gets told about Anthony Bourdain basically saying that it, this is not a direct quote, but it was something to, he basically said that, you know, there was no food, food culture in, in Denver. And, oh. um, you know, that's been repeated over and over because we have such an amazing food culture, I think, happening now. But it's yeah. just a funny thing because there really has been a, you know, this is not a cow town anymore. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Still has some aspects of the Wild West here, though. Yes, and I hope we don't lose that, you know, places yeah. like Leadville and, uh, you know, even parts of Denver, you can see like my brother's bar and, you know, there yeah. are still these really cool and really neat buildings. There's so much yeah. history and, and I think that there's some cool places being built that I think 
are really trying to incorporate that. There's a new hotel that I stayed at recently, the Maven downtown. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's in the dairy block. And they're really like, even the interior design, I'm actually going to be writing about them for Colorado Homes and Lifestyles. And they, um, they're just this, they really tried to incorporate the sort of the working man that because it was the dairy block. It was a very, you know, blue collar block in Denver back in the day. And, you know, they've really incorporated that into the interior design, into the art. And I I just think that's really cool. It's cool that developers are kind of thinking in terms of preserving the history of Denver in a contemporary way. Yeah, definitely. Gosh, I should write that down. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I've got it. I've got it recorded if you need it. That's really cool. And like you said, you know, I do think that Denver's been progressive in a lot of those ways of trying to embrace growth and in some sort of positive. And um, that place is really cool. I just, I really like what they've done with the interior design. There's a big giant fist when you walk in and it's sort of like that, you know, that big gnarly working man's hand. And it's just, it's a cool, it's a, it's a cool um, way to have a brand new building, but sort of pay tribute to what was and, and right. not let people forget, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I really feel like the whole sort of downtown area does that. Walking through there, like I the first time I walked through there, I barely felt like, yeah, it does feel like a, a Western town. Whereas, you know, after living in California for 15 years, you know, I never once said anything like that, you know. <laughs> well, that's funny because, you know, I'm from the West Coast, too, and yeah. I grew up in Oregon and Washington State, and it's very, um, everything's a little newer, or I, I don't, yeah. I don't even for Washington and Oregon, it's just different. We didn't have all the red brick. I'm still totally enamored with red brick, which makes Ryan laugh. But, <laughs> you know, all this red brick is just so, it's so beautiful. And if there's a red brick exposed wall in a building, inside of a building, I'm like, oh, I love it. Right. Um, just because it didn't, that didn't exist as much on the West Coast. So um, yeah. it definitely has that. I agree with you 100%. It has that sort of Wild West frontier kind of feel to it, for sure. Right. And speaking of that, so does Cheyenne. Oh, and I, I did recently expand Heidi Town to six surrounding states. And, oh, okay. you know, if you take, basically, if you take Denver and draw a circle around it eight hours in all directions, I'm going to sort of cover all of that. And Colorado will still be central. Um, these these articles are definitely going to be slower coming out, and I won't be concentrating as much, you know, on, on those other areas. But I, I needed to do it for multiple reasons. For myself, I think it, it's just going to be a really, it'll be fun. And so I did I did Cheyenne, which was obviously super easy because of where I live. And it has that Wild West. And you look up at these buildings, and you can just see the money that was in Cheyenne in the 1800s. It's really oh wow really fabulous we did a trolley ride um it's like 90 minutes and you just learn a ton of Cheyenne history and I didn't realize I mean I didn't know a lot of it and yeah. it's that is a cool frontier town and it still retains that feeling um which I think people are sort of craving for right now you know we definitely yeah. have this nostalgia for anything old yeah trying to get back to simpler times yes <laughs> yeah so I I yeah I have to give a shout out to Cheyenne and just that that real wild west last frontier the wind blows through the streets <laughs> yeah i've heard that i need to get up there i haven't been up there yet but i saw that you had that trolley ride on there yeah they always talk about the wind in cheyenne and i'm like you have to market it in this way that it's you know tumbleweed wild west <laughs> you have to market it in a positive way yeah <laughs> it does, definitely like, the wind is really 
there's a lot of wind there. So <laughs> gotta use it. I know someone was telling me we need a kite festival. Oh <laughs> yeah, there how you do go. We, how do we harness? <laughs> no pun intended. This this wind in a positive way. Well, it's funny because I I bought one of those inflatable hammocks over the summer. You know those they're just like these little bags that you're just supposed to wave in the breeze and they blow up and you roll oh, it up. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, supposedly. Well, I was doing it in my backyard and I couldn't, I mean, couldn't make it blow up at all. Oh, no. And uh, it's funny because I was tech, I texted a picture to a friend of mine and said, have you ever tried one of these? And, and she was up in Cheyenne saying, you need to come up here with your inflatable yes. hammock. Yes. Just hold it out and it'll work. Oh, that's funny. I haven't even heard of those yet. I'm a huge hammock fan. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I, have a, I have a lovely, happy place that I go to in my mind. It was a hammock in the back of a B&B we stayed at in Moab, Utah years ago. Years oh, and wow. years ago. Free Heidi town. Yeah. And I still sometimes, if someone says, go to your happy place, I go to that hammock because I don't nap and I fell asleep in it. Oh, wow. Like, whoa, I, it was amazing. There you go. <laughs> I know I'm I'm really bummed about this inflatable one because I was so excited for it because it supposedly takes like two minutes to blow up and then you have a you know a little kind of chaise lounge wherever you want it but it sounds amazing but if it doesn't work <laughs> it, it doesn't work and then I watched all these videos on YouTube and they were all so easy and then of course you find the ones of all the people who can't get it to work <laughs> right right and they're it's like the Pinterest things. fail. Yeah. I'm going to send you a, I'm going to send you a picture of it. If you could get one to work, that'd be great. But yeah, kite festival in Cheyenne would be awesome. So the other surrounding States, I assume um, you're going to be doing articles on all of them. Yeah, I hope so. I, I mean, it's definitely going to be slower. I, when I started this process in March is basically when I did the expansion and I started, you know, trying to make the connections and it's, you know, PR world tourism, it's a small world. And, you know, yeah. I, I guess I had kind of failed to realize I got to, I got to start making those connections in those States, you know, cause they're like, who are you? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and I, I've been lucky enough not to have that here for a long time. Yeah. You know, not to, I'm not being arrogant. I mean, I just, no. I have spent the time and the energy making connections here for a long time. And so I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, start what I'm going to do is I'm going to start going to they each state has a tourism conference. And so what I need to do is trek out to those and introduce myself. And you know, it's it's like any anything people like to work with people they've had a beer with and have met, you know, right, right. We sat in the lift car together and now I'm doing an interview. Yeah, here we <laughs> are. It would have been different had you like, you know, contacted me out of the blue. I would be like, who is she? Right. Um, yeah. You know, so face to face, there's just nothing. There's nothing like it. Nothing replaces it. So, you know, I need to traipse out and, and introduce myself and let them know I'm, a, I'm the real deal. I'm not fly by night. Yeah. So is, is that how you kind of get started? You go to the tourism board and see what's happening and what kind yeah, of events you might exactly. want to look at? And that was um, not, again, that's not how I kind of did it. I mean, it is how I did it here, but I sort of did it accidentally. <laughs> yeah. Um, I went to the governor's tourism conference when I was in Steamboat, which is a number of years ago now. And I thought I had connections in Steamboat. I have friends who live there and like, I should just go to this and check it out. And it was like the smartest thing I ever did. I met an editor of a magazine I worked for for several years and it was, it was just awesome. So it was a little bit unplanned, but then making those connections and actually becoming lifelong friends with some of these people. 
like I said, I'm, I have very much that kind of PR marketing personality. I'll talk to anyone anytime. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I've really connected. I remember telling my husband, he actually went with me and I came back to the hotel room and I said, literally after a networking, a group, I'd gone to writers conferences over the years. And, um, so I came back after a networking event at this tourism conference. And I said to Ryan, I said, I have found my people. <laughs> <laughs> finally I found my people it was not lawyers it was not writers it's these really fun marketing people right and I just I've hit it off with so many of them over the years and you know should they ever be in Loveland or if I'm even driving through I always stop and say hi to people and have a coffee have a beer it's a really fun, fun industry and I think like any other industry it's smaller than people realize yeah everybody kind of knows each other yep how, so how many road trips do you think you go on per year at this point you know, that's really, I've never actually sat down. When I'm really busy, I just had this eye surgery that has kept me down from, from traveling. But usually in the summer, we're gone three weekends every month. Oh, okay. We usually try to, you know, kind of have that one weekend where we're home. I say that happens probably again midwinter when I'm doing a lot of the festivals up in the mountains or, you know, ski type stuff. But yeah, it can be as many as three weekends, three trips a month. And then as low as one trip a month, you know, another slower time period, like all the holidays are always kind of slow, like yeah. November, December, it kind of slows down. Everybody, everybody's doing the same thing. There's not a lot of unique stuff that happens during the holidays. It's parades, it's candle lightings, you know, it's kind yeah. of all the, all the same. So yeah, so we, we are on the road a lot. So kind of just getting back to your transitioning over from your law career or what was going to be your law career. At what point did you sort of realize that you were going to do this full time? And I know you mentioned your husband is a business owner as well. That's actually a really good question because it was very... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I started writing in 2006, but I was an office manager here in Loveland at the same time of an engineering firm. Okay. And my husband in 2004 started Ryan Schlieffer Frank Furniture. All of these things kind of were happening at the same time. Okay. And so I was working as office manager and writing. And 2008 got laid off from a civil engineering uh, firm, which totally makes sense looking back at Colorado's economy. The whole company, unfortunately, eventually went under. And so mm-hmm. I started looking for a job in 2008, like the worst, <laughs> worst economy ever. Right. And I think I looked for a while. And then I sort of, after a couple months, I just threw up my hands and said, I'm going to do this freelance thing full time. Oh, nice. And, you know, I co-own Ryan Schlieffer Fine Furniture, so I do all our marketing and that sort of stuff as well. And so it really was, you know, being pushed over into unemployment that I said, I'm not going to go back. I'm going to do this myself. (laughs) So that's really, that's what did it. And uh, Ryan Schaefer Fine Furniture, we sell to the trade, meaning that we sell to interior designers and we sell through the showroom down in Denver, Carter Inc. It was amazing that we were able to actually make it through that. And by some miraculous way we did, we had a couple interior designers who kept us going through that time period. And uh, so, yes, and that's the reason a lot of people are like, how does Ryan go on all these trips with you? And it's because he's his own boss, too. So it's awesome. Like, he goes on 90% of the trips with me. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Yeah. Does he design furniture? He does. Yeah, his story is interesting. He um, went to art school in Denver, um, the Colorado or our Institute of Colorado, I think I always say it backwards. But anyway, got into the corporate world for a little bit. And he's uh, probably be the first one to tell you he is not a corporate guy right. <laughs> at all. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> and, uh, so he uh, started building houses for a while. And just through this really strange 
chain of events. He actually ended up working when we moved to Colorado together for a high-end furniture maker and then uh, decided to go out on his own. And yeah, a lot of his stuff are collaborations. A lot of it's custom. Um, the designs are a lot his. We have a whole collection that's all our own furniture, but he also does a lot of custom stuff, designing stuff with the interior designer. I mean, I just think he's a, he's an incredible artist. You know, he can freehand anything. It's crazy to me because I draw stick people. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's like magic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so same. yeah, so it's really cool that we both can be doing this and I think it's a mindset and it's, to be honest for us, I think it's easier when both of us are doing it because we really understand the other person's position. And, you know, we have a lot of friends over the years, we actually have developed a lot of friends who are also self-employed, but the ones who aren't have said many, many times, especially during the recession, they'd say, how do you do it? How do you, you know, not know from month to month? And, and I say, well, two things, about half my friends lost their jobs or got cut hours cut during that recession of 2008, 2011. Yeah. So there's not as much security as people think there is working for someone. Right. Exactly. <laughs> kind of an illusion. Um, at least when we get slow, we can go out and hustle, you know, ourselves, right. you know, we're sort of in control of our own destiny, but you also choose your own kind of stress. There are people, including my parents, I think they would not be able to handle the stress of not knowing. My dad likes things to be laid out and, uh, you know, yeah. you just choose your kind of stress. For Ryan, it's very stressful to work for someone. Right, right. <laughs> He's his own guy. And, and, and so you just kind of choose, do I want the stress of having to hustle myself or do I want the stress of having to work for someone? And I think both of us for so long now, he's been out since 2004. I've been out of the business world um, working for people since 2008. It'd be really hard for us to face that. <laughs> going back to that. Yeah, I hear you. I was, I'm right there with you. I was uh, in the corporate world for a long time and it took me way too many years to figure out that it was just not for me. Yeah. And that I was definitely not cut out for it. But um, it's true. You get to a certain point where you finally realize that, yeah, you're quote unquote, stable job isn't necessarily uh, giving you long term security, as, no. you know, as you think it is. And when, once you kind of can get past that and, and realize that it's just a different kind of stress, then it's a lot easier to, to manage. Yeah, there's that old saying of, you know, I work for myself, I get to choose which 80 hours a week I work. Right, right. <laughs> so, I love that saying, because it's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure it's much easier to do that, you know, with both of you on that kind of schedule, rather than one of you not being able to choose which, you know. Oh, it really is. And I have to say, entrepreneurship was not an easy choice for me. I, um, my parents are, have always been very secure in their jobs, have done really well on houses and Ryan comes more from an entrepreneur family, business owner family. And so for him, it was always what he had in his mind. And for me, it was pretty much like jumping off a cliff without a parachute. <laughs> like, this, yeah. is, this may be the stupidest thing we've ever done. <laughs> right. But it wasn't. So, it, and it wasn't. It was actually, I'm really glad we did it. And now, like I said just a second ago, I we really wouldn't have it a different way. We really like being our own bosses. So. Right. And again, the fact that it's just grown so organically is just kind of a testament to it being the right choice, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, it's... absolutely. And I, you know, there are not a lot of people that get to say that they do what they love. And it's kind of that old cliche, and you don't love it every day. And, and, and I think the thing about being self-employed is the amount of willpower and self, you know, responsibility you have to have um, is great. You know, it helps when you have to put bread on the table. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Nothing's a motivator like a, like a mortgage. <laughs> yeah. 
you mentioned a column that you're doing. Oh, well, I, I do. Uh, actually, thanks for LinkedIn for letting me know when my work anniversaries are. <laughs> I didn't realize it had been two years. So a couple of years ago, Mountain Living Magazine, which is also Colorado Homes and Lifestyles, their oh. sister magazine of the Wisner company owns them. And so they contacted me and they wanted me to write a blog for them about travel in Colorado. And it has worked into now, I've been with them for two years. We call it the Heidi Guide. And yeah. it's independent of Heidi Town, but of course they are, are connected and it is not the same articles. They're they're different articles. Okay. Um, a little bit of a different voice. I get to do some really fun, more luck luxury stuff with uh, mountain living. Yeah, so that's been super cool. And also what that allows me to do is they cover the Mountain West. Okay. So I don't just cover Colorado. I cover um, all of our regions. We just added um, the Washington and Oregon mountains into that region, which is super fun for me because that's my old stomping grounds. Yeah. So I get to write about Idaho and Montana and Wyoming, which I grew up going to Wyoming in Montana in the summer. So it's it's been a lot of fun. I absolutely love, I have an awesome editor there, Vanessa. So it's been a lot of fun um, working with the Heidi Guide. It kind of just gave me a um, not only just another job, but another, kind of another creative outlet. And I love the West. I'm such a West Coast girl. And so having that ability to sort of write glowing things about the whole Western United States. Tahoe is in our area, which I spent some time in in college. And oh, wow. so it's just it's a really it's been super fun. I've loved it. So for that, do they do they tell you like what they want you to? No, that's the best or? part. Oh, I'm really? totally in charge. Oh wow! <laughs> I own, yeah, like I um, yeah. I, as long as it's you know, we've never really had any problems. As long as it's kind of in the realm of travel and festivals, it's kind of the similar thing to Heidi Town. Like I did a a, a roundup of Oktoberfest in the West. You know, um, I've done just a piece that just came out on guided fishing trips, uh, which are amazing, by the way. And (laughs) so, you know, just really fun things that I think fits their demographic, which is a slightly different demographic than Heidi Town, but not drastically different. It's obviously a a fairly large audience. And so it's it's been a lot of fun. And yeah, I've been able to sort of craft what I what I want to craft. And I work. Thankfully, I have a really good working relationship with the editor. I think I've been very lucky over the years. And um you know, you talk to writers and they tell a lot of horror stories about editors. And I really don't have any. It's, <laughs> I've walked out <laughs> yeah. over the years of working with some pretty cool people that I've, you know, connected with. And those that you don't connect with, I usually end up, oh, well, I won't be writing for you, you know? So right. I've developed a great, a great relationship with the editor there. And I think we, we flow really well together. So that's helped a lot. I still have my foot in the door at the little newspaper I started with. I really don't write very much for them anymore, but I still sort of do the occasional piece for them. And I love doing that because I love interviewing people. And I know I was looking through your podcast and I had this like nostalgia for when I used to interview World War II vets. And I interviewed this lady from Berthoud who was, gosh, I think it was celebrating her 60th year in the United States. She had come through from Holland to Ellis Island. Telling her story was such an honor. Like it really did feel like, wow, I can't believe I'm the one that gets to tell this. She had never been interviewed before, came to the United States and she remembered everything so clearly. And so she, I think she immigrated when she was 16 was what it was. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so I I really understand your passion for doing the podcast because (laughs) I miss the interviewing factor of working for a newspaper. And when you work for a tiny newspaper, they're always looking for those interesting people in town to tell their stories. And, uh, you know, I told a story about a man one time that had a amazing train set in his basement for him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, with all of the all of the the mountains and the little houses, and oh my gosh, it was amazing. And you just, I love people. I love being able to to tell people's story. And I always say that there's no boring person. Like every single person yeah. out there has a story to tell. So I miss that. I really miss yeah. that aspect of working for a small newspaper. Yeah, I mean that's honestly what I love about doing this show is that kind of the basis of this whole show was I know all these interesting people. When do you ever get a chance to like sit down and really? dig into something and, and talk to somebody, see where they're coming from and, and just get a, a life story that's never been told before. And what's interesting about that is a majority of people never have their story told. Right. You know, right. and the, the reporter in me, the, the storyteller in me mourns that a little bit because there are so many interesting stories that are just going to go to the grave with people that, right. that, that never get out there. And so I love what you're doing. When I went through and looked at them, I was like, oh, this is great because I think that's, you know, it's tapping into that American. It's really an American story, all of all, all of us. So I, I love that. And um, Yeah. For me, I think about like, there's so many millions of podcasts out there. And I listen to Mark Maron's podcast, WTF, where he just, it's, it's similar, you know, he just sits yeah. down and has a conversation with somebody about their life and they're work but you know for him it's always somebody famous and right. of course those are always interesting stories but you know like you're saying there's so many out there that are just just as interesting and it's interesting to interview somebody like that like I'm sure you saw my last interview was um, Anita Hassan who is 95 years old just had yeah. an incredible life story yes. her husband was in the war you know then they moved down to Venezuela ended up here in in Colorado and yeah she's never had that opportunity to tell her story and I think I talked to her for almost two hours until she really was kind of too tired to keep talking but just to have that experience with her and and have her have the opportunity to tell her story you can see you know made such a difference for her and knowing that it was there and uh, you know recorded yeah well, I think that's the big thing. It's like you're listening to them tell that story. Somebody is interested. And, and I think, right. you know, that's where reporters really have, that's a lucky part of the job. Yeah. Is that you get to be that witness to that person's story. And I think there's there's a lot of power in that. And it's, it's a really wonderful thing. I remember over the years, I, I did a lot of profiles and uh, I've interviewed people who say, I don't know why you guys want to interview me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not interesting. Yeah, I got and a lot of that. I'm not going to be interesting. We start talking and I think they realize at some point, wow, I really do have a story to tell, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's the cool part. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It is. It's like a change of perspective. I worked for a health and wellness company for a while where I interviewed people who had different chronic conditions. It talked about all aspects of it from how did you know something was wrong to what was your reaction to the diagnosis? What kind of treatment? What kind of support have you gotten for yourself? And just go through the whole thing. And each interview was about an hour. And at the end of it, a lot of people would say, wow, that was that was almost like a therapy session. Like I've just never had the opportunity to sit down and think that through. Yes. And you know, it's the same thing if you really just talk to somebody about their life and their ex interesting experiences in their life. I mean, I, you know, as the host wanted the opportunity to be able to talk to people and have interesting conversations, but yeah, I think people start to think about their own experiences in a, in a new way. And they do. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely Even if it's just realizing that it's actually interesting. You know? Yeah. And it's different than telling it to a friend. You know, it's yeah. different when it's somebody who doesn't know you. Like I said, I use the word witness. Like it's somebody who's witnessing you outside of the people that sort of have to listen to you because they're <laughs> friends and family. Right, you know? right. Yeah, I, I people are interesting. They really, really are. 
they're fascinating. And we all have gone through things. Right. Now, you never know the things that people are going through. I think that a lot of people would never know that I've had, you know, serious eye condition my entire life. Yeah. It's not something I wear. It's not something, you know, on my sleeve. It's not something I talk about. I talk right. about it when I have to yeah. <laughs> because I'm going to be offline for a month and people will have think that I died <laughs> <laughs> yeah but everybody has those things you know it's not just me everybody has something that's a personal thing that they're they're dealing with and I think being able being able to tell that story you're you know I, it's wonderful what you're doing I mean anybody who gets out there and tells those stories I think it's I don't know I, I can't um find the perfect word or phrase it's just <laughs> it's it's saving it you know, yeah. I don't know. It's saving yeah, it. It is. It is. It's like recording these stories for posterity. You you feel that a lot more when you interview somebody who's ninety five. <laughs> you know. Or, yeah. Oh my gosh. But even as a Lyft driver, you know, you get like a ten minute snippet or like a twenty minute snippet of somebody's lives. And sometimes I've said to people, my car is ten minutes of safe space. You're never going to see me again. Feel free to. Tell yeah. me whatever you want. And some people, yeah, appreciate that and will like pour out their life story and tell me things that they wouldn't even tell anybody else. And it's almost like a mini version of my podcast. It's this little brief little moment of connection with somebody. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, what, I wonder what that is psychologically, why people will talk to a stranger about things they would never talk to their friends or their family. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting psychology. I think people want to get stuff off their chest. And I think that's part of this too, is just communication. So much of our communication with each other is, you know, in passing or like, I've got something else on my mind or whatever, you know, you're just, I'm barely listening to you and that kind of thing. In, in a lift experience, it's like such a difference between somebody who like you have a little superficial conversation with and then somebody else gets in and will tell you like some secret important detail of their life. You know, I I think it's hard to tell people everything like you're saying. I mean, even something like an eye condition. I mean, you know, most people don't know about that or don't know that it's been a long-term condition for you. Yeah. And to, to be able to like unload anything like that onto a stranger and know like it's going to have no effect on your life. Nobody's going to think poorly of you. You know, you're never going to see me again. It's a, a form of stress relief, you know, like tension relief to be able to unload that stuff. Yeah, I think that's really true. I always say lift drivers are the new bartenders. Yeah, look at that. I mean, not that bartenders aren't, but I'm like, it's even better because you're never going to see me again. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think those sort of moments of connection are are important. Well, I think the other thing we're dealing with in our society right now, and it's, you know, a whole nother conversation, you know, the social media world, which I I thrive in and I have a business that's highly connected to it. But on the other hand, it has changed our style of communicating. And I think in some ways not for the best. Right. Yeah. You know, we do have these sort of drive-by things uh, on, on social media that we say whatever we, we want to say that we would never say to people's face. And right. even with my own friends, you misconstrue, some, misconstrue something that someone texts you. And we just don't connect with people on this level, even though you and I are on another side of a screen from each other. We're talking only to each other. I have not looked at my phone. I have not pulled up any screens. And that's a very... that rarely happens I mean even with my own husband (laughs) that rarely happens right we have a hard time giving people our full attention right now and I I am just as big as a culprit as anyone else yeah I am too and I'm definitely a culprit on social media with brain farting and you know writing things that I should think about twice before I but I think that's something that 
we are all sort of still adjusting to as a society is like having access to everybody's every thought and our and our own and having that kind of platform which is hard to manage but I think that too is like you're saying you know a lot of our our day-to-day interactions are so distracted you know like at work you're on the phone with somebody you're typing an email in our own personal relationships we do it and I don't think people realize it until you know you have a conversation like this or even like you know when I make one of those two second small connections with somebody in a lift ride it stands out because it is a moment of connection which is unusual unfortunately in our in our day-to-day ideas I just heard I've been hearing about this more and more recently about going to dinner with friends and everybody has to leave their phone in the car or leave their phone at home. Like everybody has to just be in the moment of this dining together and not taking pictures of their food and not checking their emails or texting another friend while you're with these friends. And I love that idea. We've actually been toying around with the idea of starting kind of an old fashioned salon with some of our friends. And I think we would have to make that rule that nobody could bring their phones. Right. Because I, it does. It cha- it really changes the dynamic. And like I said, I, I could preach about this all day, but I am a hypocrite. I, I definitely look at my phone way more times a day than I should. And when I'm in conversations. I mean, it is, it's so weird to think of that concept now of being out to dinner with friends and like having to put away your phone. There was a time where you would be out to dinner with friends and there was no way for anyone to reach you. <laughs> I know. And you and I remember that, but there's a whole yeah. generation now that does remember that. Yeah, never can understand the concept of being out and unreachable. Yeah, I've had these I've had these times just recently where I laugh and I think, you know, someone's late to something and I you just text them. What did we used to do when we just had to wait for someone who was late? You just waited. You just wait around. <laughs> what That's, a weird concept. Yeah. It's hard to imagine. I mean, I say to like my nieces and nephews, can you imagine being at the mall? And like, you're just at the mall. You can't talk to anybody until you get home from the mall. You're not texting with your friend while you're there. I mean, you're literally just at the mall. I mean, I think that's an interesting psychological study is we've sort of lost the ability, and I feel this of myself a little bit, to be in moments. Yes. And that's, you know, not just in communication, but just with ourselves. Right. There's there's no longer the day of sitting at the bar waiting for somebody, God forbid, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. That definitely is a long gone. But I mean, that's kind of how people used to sit and wait. Right. Now they're on their phone the whole time. You know, they may right. not even be communicating with the bartender or people next to them. They're just, I actually looked down a bar one time at a, a bar where I was waiting for my husband to come and every single person, there was like seven people around all on their phones. Yeah. <laughs> Who could have been talking to each other? I mean, if people used to talk to strangers at bars and I know it definitely still happens. And I talk to bartenders in my travels all the time. I find that they are such a, a wonderful source of information about towns. Oh, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it, it was just exactly. an interesting, it was like, wow, what did we used to do before there were phones at when we're waiting around at a bar? <laughs> and, it, and it's true. I mean, and when your friend did show up at the bar, like you got to sit there and talk to them and, you know, not have distractions coming in all the time. And it's rare to be with somebody that is just 100% present, you know, and it's hard to be that person too. I've done it myself, but it's, uh, you know, it makes it all the more, all the more needed to have that time where you actually like present with another person. And it's especially hard when your business is wrapped up in it, like mine, because I always have the excuse, well, I need to check in, I need to tweet from here, I need to take a picture of this cocktail, you know, and so I have to be really, really, cognizant of that 
right. aware of what I'm doing and when I'm, when I'm doing it, whether I really need to be or whether it's just serious, habitual checking in and taking pictures and stuff. So see, I love it. I was once called early on in my travel writing career, I ran into a travel writer who was significantly farther along in her career, but social media was much newer to her. And she said, you're just a tweeting fool. Cause we, (laughs) you know, we had been to the same place and I had done, you know, 10 tweets to her one tweet and it's not, nothing's better than the other. I mean, I probably tweet too much, but I love it. I know a lot of writers love it. It's like this way that you can get little quick witty things out there and so that's why I have to like consciously say, okay, I'm going to put the phone down. I like it and it becomes a habit. So it's two things that are kind of a dangerous combination <laughs> for my husband mostly, although he's gotten really used to it by yeah. now. Well, at least, you know, you're getting paid for it. Right. <laughs> so. Absolutely. I think before I was actually making any money on it, it was probably more annoying. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> And I'm sure the uh, the travels probably are inspirational for him and his uh, furniture design. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think he's got, we've gotten to see so much of the state that we wouldn't have. I mean, we always traveled even before Heidi Town. We're road trippers. Both of us love road trips. And yeah, we've gotten to see and do amazing things. I mean, you know, we've ziplined all over the state. We've, he's got to go on several guided fishing outings, which he loved. And yeah. I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're getting a lot of people say Ryan has the best job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good setup. He's my got that. Sort of stand in line to see who gets to, you know, replace him if he can't go on a trip with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's pretty nice. Yeah. Guest of the mayor of Heidi Town. Right. Did you guys um, see the eclipse? We did here. We did not travel for it. We um, stayed here and went over to some friend's house that lived kind of in the country. So it was beautiful surroundings. But, you know, the only thing I really noticed so much about it was how much cooler it got. That was the thought that to me was like the most like, wow, if we didn't have a son, that would be bad news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would suck. <laughs> Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I was I was at home, but um thought there was like a really cool, weird energy in the yeah, air. Definitely. And it, it, it was weird to watch the shadows get longer and longer. I thought that was really cool. It yeah. didn't get as dark as I thought 95% would be. Yeah. It makes you realize how powerful the sun actually is. Yeah. But it, I heard, um, and I don't know if this was a fact, but um, some friends of mine in the same area said that it dropped 20 degrees. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I don't know if it was that much or not, but I know we went from being really hot to like, wow, it's really nice out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it cooled off. I wouldn't say more than maybe five degrees or so. I mean, I didn't notice a huge difference. We noticed a huge difference because we were all sitting outside on this like sort of platform um, with my our friends' like astronomy equipment. <laughs> oh, wow. And uh, it was... Uh, kind of out in the middle of a field and so the wind sort of we could start feeling the wind and I don't think it was a whole 20 degree shift but it was pretty amazing that was I think the most significant and then it just got that little eeriness to it like you said yeah um, and it kind of felt twilightish, like it was yeah. a little bit it was it was definitely odd but you know in retrospect I think I might have liked to see the full <laughs> yeah me too I kind of wish that I saw the the full thing yeah. People's you know, reactions were insane. Like if you watched any of the videos, people were crying and I knew. it was like overwhelming. I mean I could I can kind of see how that would happen though. I feel like I might I might have got the same reaction. I feel like there was a little bit of crowd mentality happening in some of these yeah, places. Probably. 
You know, like we watched one video and Ryan's like, why are they clapping? <laughs> but I think it was that crowd energy that you get. It's like, something. you don't know what to do. I, I could see myself being like, what? Yeah. Just not knowing what kind of reaction to have, but just kind of going with it. <laughs> and who knows what deep seated things this kind of brings up for people, like on a very subconscious level, like, boy, I am a really tiny spot in this universe. Yeah. You know? yeah. Maybe deep down, you're like, your inner caveman is like, oh my God. I think that's a big part of it, especially these days with everything going on in the world and like the feelings of the apocalypse. And I think people were like, I want to get out and feel small, you know, be humbled by the enormity of of nature and things we can't control for for two minutes. I think that you're really onto something there. I think that's really an interesting observation. I feel like that's why it got whipped into a frenzy. I mean, of course, you know, the fact that it was covering the whole country was a big deal and got everybody into it. But I think, I don't know, for me, that that definitely had something to do with it. It was like, oh, you just want to forget about all this man-made crap that we're in the middle of right now. Yeah, it was really nice. I mean, I, yeah. I even posted something about, gosh, the this eclipsed all the political stuff that was <laughs> happening on my, you know, it was like everybody, and, and, and it really was, I think the frenzy around it was social media made. Yeah. I mean, if we didn't have social media, there wouldn't have been a frenzy around it, period. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> even though it was true. crossing the United States, there would have just been no outlet for people to, you know, work themselves up into a lather. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so, very true. That's very true. Social media has changed sort of the way we we witnessed the world around us and the eclipse was probably a really good indicator of that. Yeah, I think you're right. It was cool though. I'm glad I got to see it. You know, it was, it was cool to just see, to not get political, but just to see people sort of all looking up together and, and having this like human experience that had nothing to do with anything but, you know, this very, very basic human thing. And I, I don't know, there's, there's something really nice that to happen right now yeah absolutely I think it was something uh everyone kind of needed and now I need football so we're like huge football fans in my house my <laughs> husband is a die diehard Broncos fan grew up you know in Colorado oh wow so, you know football will be a nice diversion as well for us for us personally <laughs> crazy summer that I've had with my eyes and everything it's like gosh we we're looking forward so much to uh, that first game so yeah I bet so are you um, almost uh, recovered from the eye surgery? Is- well, that's the really hard thing is that there really isn't a recovery. I This was sort of a last resort attempt to save uh, the vision in that eye. Oh. So, yeah, it's so hard. And this is the other thing about social media. You know, I, I had to put on Facebook that, you know, I was having this surgery and I was going to kind of be off radar for a while. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, wishing you speedy recovery. And then people will be like, are you better? Are you recovered? And I'm like, well... <laughs> really hard to explain like you don't really want to tell people bad news like it's just a really hard thing we want we want and and then when you tell if you tell people bad news then you think well I don't want to wear that as a badge like I don't want that to be like who I am and I'm one of those people that's like wallowing in and please everyone's pity me and feel sorry for me so it's like (laughs) I've been walking this fine line of just telling people individually hey you know things didn't go as planned I had a surgery in November and then I just had this one and it's been two kind of last ditch efforts um so it's, yeah, it's not really a recovery to speak of. Um, okay. Because, yeah, we're, 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 I may be facing a new normal. And so that's a, it's a really hard thing, you know, to wrap my mind around. And I try to be a really, like, I'm not really that positive a person. I shouldn't say that. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty 
pretty much a realist, but I try to maintain uh, a positivity out there in the world that people see. And, you know, right. some days it can be really hard. It can be really, really hard when you're dealing with something like this. So I'm sure. Yeah, that's definitely got to be a, a difficult thing to come to terms with. Yeah. I appreciate you, you saying that and telling me that. I mean, again, I think as long as you're out there, you know, authentically just presenting the information, you know, just like with Heidi Town, it's, you know, you're just being honest about it and you don't have to worry about presenting bad news. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's what it is. And, and you as a realistic person or, um, I'm confident you're going to figure out a way to, you know, incorporate it into your life if that's what you right. need you to do. Right. You move on. And, you know, it's it's something that I, I will admit, uh, you know, I've had some wallowing days myself, but I try not to drag a lot of people into that with me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you just okay. you have to figure out how, like I said, I keep using the words new normal. I mean, that's going, there's going to be a, a change and we don't really know when that's going to come. I mean, I think that's the really hard part with anything medically re- related when they run out of options. Yeah. Um, we don't know how long the site's going to hang on. And it's, um, we, we know at some point it, it will be gone, but we just don't know what the timing is. And I think I am a little bit, if you can't tell, a little bit of a control freak about, <laughs> about things. It's really hard. Uh, you know, anyone, I, I, I feel for anyone dealing with medical issues when there are so many unknowns and, and it's completely and 100% out of your control. Um, yeah. I think that is a really, really hard thing to face for anyone not just control freaks but <laughs> <laughs> right yeah definitely it's, definitely it's, uh, it's just really a, it's an interesting road to be going down and and no one can quite understand it unless they've been on that road which is i think another hard thing for my husband you know it's she's having to watch and having to like try and do everything he can do to be there and I, I couldn't have a better spouse let me tell you that um yeah but it's it's you know it's it's an interesting road to go down it'd be a whole nother podcast <laughs> right right well yeah. I mean I think the best thing to do is like you said just remain realistic about it there's a difference between being a positive person who has to turn everything into a positive when obviously not everything is going to be a positive for me positivity means accepting reality and just facing it every day and and trying to to move forward every day based on reality. Yes. Oh, that was very well put. I mean, because you can't turn things into something they're not. I mean, you just have to figure out what and move on. It can't turn going blind in an eye into a positive thing. You just can't. Right, right. (laughs) Especially at the moment when it's happening. Like, you can't turn around and be like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah, actually, this was awesome. (laughs) Right. And and there are people, you know, there are those people even on uh, out there that I know that are always like trying to turn this into a positive thing. And I'm like, yeah, no. Right. And that's (laughs) a hard trap too for somebody like a spouse, you know, or a caregiver who wants to try and be supportive and remain positive too. But they they also can't turn it into a positive. Oh, it's really hard. I mean, this has been, I don't want to get too personal into things, but I mean, it's been rough, you know, from a standpoint also of Brian's a a very, in some ways, typical of of men and they want to fix things. And it's got to be the hardest thing when it's medical to know that you can't. And and he very much is a fixer. And, you know, I, I like to sit there and be really not just about this, but like, I, t- I like to get mad about something and, and just kind of sort of sit there and, you know, let it fester a little bit. Right, right. Let's get to the bottom of it. Let's fix it. And sometimes I'm like, I don't want to fix it. <laughs> yeah. 
I want to, I want to fester. <laughs> yes. I just want, I just want to sit here and stew. Right. Uh, but yeah, so I know it's, it's been really, it's, it's been a, it's a little, it's been a hard road. That's for sure. For everybody involved. It's been a rough year and it's funny. I'm 40 this year. I turned 40. So I'll be 41 in October. And, oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, okay, 40, bye-bye. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's move yeah. on to a different year. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I said, it sounds like you are really uh, approaching it the right way and I wish you the best of luck. And Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, really is that. just to throw your hands up at some point and say I, I've done what I can do, you know. This last surgery especially, it was a real debate. I went back and forth about whether I should do it. And, uh, you know, it's not looking like it. We don't know. There still could be some sort of uh, thing that happens later on and maybe it, it will be more successful than we thought. But right now, nobody has high hopes. But, you know, it's going back and you try not to second guess yourself. And I, I really yeah. had, I couldn't not do it, right? You know, right. you can't just say, I'm not going to try. Right, right. And I have to look at it that way and say, I will always do, you know, everything it would take to save that site. And so I did that. That's all I can do in the end and yeah, go from there. So, yeah, I mean, you did, you know, what you obviously thought was the right thing for yourself and that's really all we can ever do oh, at I any do. given moment. <laughs> and I have really great doctors. The good thing about living in Denver back to Denver talk is that, you know, we have, an, we have really amazing healthcare. I went to UC health and um, have a group of doctors there that are pretty top of their field, you know, some of the best of the best. So that's really good. I, it's kind of interesting. Colorado has actually, back when I was doing medical writing, I remember hearing several times that Colorado can get some pretty amazing doctors because people want to be here. So they'll even choose sort of a you know, less money, but a better quality of life to work in Colorado. So oh, we've wow. actually been able to kind of recruit some top doctors in different fields just because right. they really want to have a Colorado lifestyle, which is kind of a little insider information. That yeah, that's kind of great to know. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. So we are lucky in that we have access to some pretty amazing doctors. So Well, that's great. I don't really want to take up too much more of your time. Tell everybody where we can find Heidi Town. Heidi Town is at HeidiTown.com. On Twitter at HeidiTown, uh, if you just type in HeidiTown.com into your Facebook search, you should be able to find me there. I'm on Google+. Plus. You can link in with me, Heidi Kerr-Schlafer. Like I said in the very beginning, I love, I just love trip planning. So if people have any questions, it, even if they're on location somewhere and they tweet me, I'm really good at responding. And so, yeah, I, I oh, love great. communicating with people who, who are my readers, who I call my citizens. So right. it's always kind of an open door policy to the mayor's office. <laughs> I, I encourage that all the time. That's what makes it really fun for me. So it'd be really boring if I, if I didn't get to talk to people all the time. So yeah, I, I mean, welcome new it. readers, old readers. It, it's a lot of, we have a lot of fun. We say Facebook is the block party of Heidi town. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot more, there's a lot of interaction there and uh, we just have a, we have a lot of fun. Yeah. And I mean, thank you as a new Coloradan, as a Coloradan at all. Thank you for this amazing resource. And honestly, like being able to tweet somebody while you're out there and, and get real time uh, you know, tips and things like that is, is an amazing resource. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's fine. It's just fun. Like I said, I love it. So it's not, you know, it's really not work work. <laughs> right. Right. It is and it isn't. And then I will, I would just I'll plug our other company is Ryan Schlafer Fine Furniture and see our furniture on the floor at Carter Inc. at the Denver Design District on Broadway. And yeah, we're on social media as well, Ryan Schlafer Fine Furniture, and we have fun there too. I, I just, you know, I love putting up pictures of rooms and being like, what do you like here and don't like? And we just uh, have a lot of fun. 
Yeah, that's great. Well, you two definitely seem to have figured it out. This is the kind of life that most couples dream about. Being able to control your schedule, do do what you love, be creative. It's amazing. Aw, oh, thanks. Yeah, and, and I don't think I, I realize that enough. So I, I like you saying that. It, it really is something I need to, I think, be be grateful for that, that I have that. I mean, he's going to be here home for lunch in a couple minutes. And, you know, he almost comes home for lunch every day because his shop's not far away. So, yeah, that is something that I think um, is, is really special. So I appreciate you saying that. It makes me think about that and be more grateful for what we have. So Great. Well, thank you for coming on the show. This was great. Thanks for continuing to remember me. I appreciate that. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've really enjoyed your posts. So that's yeah. why I've, uh, I've kept you in mind. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. And thank you for listening to episode number 50 of The Audra Show and for any of the other episodes that you may have listened, listened to. Thank you for supporting the show. As you probably know, if you're already listening to this, you can find us on Twitter at at Audra Show, Facebook, Podbean, iTunes. Just search for The Audra Show and you will find me. Feel free to provide any feedback, comments, interest in being a guest on the show. I'd love to hear from everybody. Thank you all again and hope to see you back here again. Thanks.